Hey, everybody. I'm coming up on 400 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, and I hope you will come celebrate with me. I'm doing a special live program uh, at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater to celebrate 400 episodes. Let me tell you this. When I did 300, I did a live show. And to this day, I still feel guilty that it was like 16 white guys and two women and one person of color. And that's not great. Uh, and this was a couple years ago. So I'm trying to correct that with number 400 or at least apologize for it. But as it happens, I have the most amazing lineup of writers, including but not limited to Monica Breen, who's doing the Buffy remake, reboot. It's a remake. It's an extension of the brand. She put out a great uh, tweet about it, which you should go look for. Um, Alexandra Cunningham, who's doing the Dirty John TV show based on the hit podcast. Uh, Carly Rae, who worked on Westworld and uh, Mindhunter, which is a great show. And she also was doing one of these Game of Thrones spinoff uh, for HBO, which who knows if that is happening. Um, who else? Angela Kang, who's the showrunner for The Walking Dead. Jenny Hutchison, who has been on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and she's doing the Welcome to Night Vale series. If you listen to the uh, episode with Chernold Edwards and Christine Boylan, uh, both of them are going to be back because uh, that was such a great conversation. I wanted to talk more with them. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater on Sunday, the 26th of August. We're doing a double feature. We're doing my 400th episode at 6 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., uh, my friend Matt Gorley is doing a live I Was There Too, featuring some of the murder victims in Friday the 13th, uh, as well as Paul Rust, uh, who is a big Friday the 13th fan. So that is on the 26th of August, Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker for details. Forever! Dog! Before today's podcast, we have a conversation with Claudia Black. Claudia is a terrific actress who you may know as Dahlia, the powerful witch in the originals. She was a, a villain in this show. Although, are there really villains? This is something we talk about. Um, Claudia has some really great uh, insights into playing a witch, playing a uh, character who is usually seen as evil. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hello, I'm talking to Claudia Black. Claudia, thank you for speaking with me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. And hello to everyone listening. Um, Claudia, I wanted to speak with you because you played the witch Dahlia on the originals. Um, tell me, if you would, a little bit about taking that role and what you knew about the character going in, if you can recall? Well, I mean, she's kind of like Harry Lyme in The Third Man, which is a very old film reference that is <laughs> talked about in film studies because of the structure of the movie and the, uh, and the character. Contextually, Harry Lyme is so disgust but doesn't appear, I think, until the third act of the film, but because he's been so built up, he has this incredible power. And that's exactly what happened uh, for me, stepping into play Dahlia, she'd been oft spoken about and referenced, but never seen on the show as an adult. And um, I, I don't know if I really understood what a big deal that was. In the audition scene, she was sort of more sexy and more playful and certainly manipulative, very strong. She ended up being actually quite different. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, how did and she it, how did she wind up being especially after playing a few episodes? I imagine once your personality gets in there, she starts to change. Not really. I've seen that happen on other shows. <laughs> I mean, the guys on the show behind, you know, who were writing it and producing it might say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt to me that they were on it was a very it was taking on a very serious tone towards the end of that season and I think that's what they needed to honor I think that's probably having not spoken to them about it specifically Mm -hmm. it's a good question to ask Julie when I see her but um, for me it's about sort of showing up and doing the job that's that's actually being asked of me because I feel like I'm sort of one color on a on a you know on a big canvas whenever I take a job and um, you know the 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 heartbreaking story with Freya and and Dahlia and her backstory and Dahlia's real relationship with her sister was really touching to me and I and I guess that's why in a way you know what was required of Dahlia uh, you know it it, it it seemed to go in that direction. I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think I mentioned to a producer early on that it seemed Dahlia seemed to be different than the character that I'd auditioned for. Mm-hmm. Um, there just didn't seem to be as much room for Dahlia herself to, in a way, I don't know, take as much delight in what she was doing as she could have. But talking about it now, thinking about it, you know, now knowing where the season was heading, um, you know, it makes sense to me why, sure. yeah, why there was that sort of, that schism. Sure, sure. Uh, you you mentioned the um, very sympathetic story about Dahlia and her sister. And the the question I'm, I'm always curious about from people who play villains is whether they see their character as a villain. Oh, I mean, you can't. I think that the minute you pigeonhole a, a character... Um, you're sort of forcing them, you're limiting them. And I think it's bad parenting. And I think that's what acting is. When you are given stewardship of a role, you are, you're birthing it uh, along with other people. And, you know, it's a gorgeous, humbling moment when you meet, for me, when I meet with a costume designer and talk to them about it and really understand what that moment is like for them. Hmm. It's a big moment for a cast, for a, sorry, a costume designer. It's a big moment for a casting director. It's a big moment for a costume designer. When that character comes off the page alive in front of them Mm -hmm. and they know in their bodies that the character has arrived. And so talking to a costume designer, Nancy Cheo, the fabulous Nancy Cheo from the originals, that was one of the juiciest moments of her job was seeing the character come off the page by way of the clothing draping on that person's form and starting to understand visually how they could continue to bring that more to life. And so for actors, by whatever means they they choose, it's their job to never be in judgment of that character. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so, so how do you... Sorry, go ahead. You know, for, and for, it, I mean, they talk about it in all the good acting schools. Just wherever there's a resistance in the actor to play a certain, the character a certain way or to say the lines that they've been given, any of those resistances are worth looking at mm-hmm. for personal study and exploration because there's judgment there, most likely. And we we can't really... In a way, we almost don't deserve that stewardship if we're going to stand in judgment of our character. And 
the more we study and understand human behavior, the better I think we become as actors because it helps us to have compassion for what's underneath the actions that these that these characters take. Absolutely. Do you do you recall what that resistance was for you for the character of Dahlia? I don't think there was any resistance <laughs> for me. I, I, I think that um, I've, I don't I don't think I've ever had a problem playing with the shadow aspects of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that there's probably efficacy in it for me because I'm a good person in my real life. I identify as a good person. <laughs> so I wouldn't normally use that term in the sense that, I mean, there's a lot of goodness in me and I'm well-intended. I wouldn't say that there are good children and bad children. I think having become a mother myself, it's really easy to see that often a child's actions when they're pre-verbal are misunderstood and then they can get put on this very negative track for the rest of their lives if someone isn't there to observe them, love them as unconditionally as possible because I think that's an almost superhuman thing to be able to love unconditionally um, but worth striving for. I think that, um, you know, it's the same with our with our acting. We have to, you know, parent these parent these characters and love them into into being with the good and you know with the with the the light and the dark that's mm-hmm. within them and that's what was so great about Dahlia's character she had this beautiful backstory that made me weep when I saw the other actors playing the roles I was so touched by what they did in their <laughs> relationship um, yeah it was it was heartbreaking to to witness yeah and and all of that said I mean she is such a sympathetic character. She does have this uh, really moving backstory. She's still framed as the villain in this season. Um, I think fans are always curious to know about how, about the dynamic among actors uh, off screen or, you know, while shooting where, you know, there are shades, <laughs> there are shades of uh, goodness and villainy on this show. And did, how did everybody get along? Did it, you know, did you pick up your roles off screen as well? Oh, God, no. I mean, <laughs> I had an absolute blast with everyone. And I think it's a testament to Julie and the shows that she's run and been involved with that she understands the power of an ensemble and cultures get created because we of the type of society we live in. They get created from the top down. Um, so... And especially once I then moved on to containment, it was extremely evident how important it was to Julie and David, our director, that we get to know each other as soon as possible. I think there are are some pitfalls when the cast is younger. I worked on shows in my early 20s where we just didn't know how to set healthy boundaries and we would end up living in houses together and working together and there was never any separation. But I think Julie absolutely trusted us, certainly with containment, to just, you know to get to know each other, get the ball rolling, because I think that the, especially a television set film, you have more time, mm-hmm. but with television, you live and die by your shorthand. Um, and so that means that the communication that you have with everyone on the set, the crew, the cast, everyone, the, the more ease there is in the communication, the, the easier it is to film. Um, and I think that that translates onto the screen as well. Having worked a lot in motion capture video games now, mm-hmm. The companies that prioritize the chemistry between the actors have always won. Always. They always, you know, get the, the greatest reviews for performances and it's, and there's a reason for that. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I adored everyone and they were, they were, they were 
from what I could tell, very different to their characters. And I think that that's something, a function of actors in this culture. I know we sort of say, well, it's not rocket science. But if we're able to actually play out the shadow aspects of of humanity, even through the veil of supernatural people who aren't <laughs> actually human, it makes it easier for us to look at ourselves. And I think politically right now, there's nothing more important than that exploration of how we got to where we are and what our individual role is in that, what, how we can have self-responsibility and accountability at the microcosmic level and then looking at the macrocosmic, you know, what are we going to do as a as a divided nation, let's say, in the States, and, you know, it's happening around the world now as well, simultaneously, what what is our part as individuals and as community members to to evolve? I think that's an incredibly important point. Uh, just a couple more questions for you. Uh, for this character of Delia, where do you think her power came from, and where did you find her power? It's a really interesting question because of what I'm exploring in myself personally. I joke that I was sort of paid for my anger for about 20 years. <laughs> um, it's not pretty or cool or um, but an attractive trait normally in women to be angry. And so most women internalize their anger and it becomes depression or it becomes illness. Uh, not the depression and, and physical illness, the mutually exclusive. exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and or we were forced, depending on what era we were raised in and started in the workforce in, you know, we would become way more masculine at, at the expense of the feminine. And I think in order to be a real witch, having friends who have trained with green witches, they're herbalists, they're midwives, they are people who identify as witches in the most positive possible way because the the, the word connotes such negativity. It's about embracing the divine feminine mm-hmm. and being able to be in balance with masculine energy so that you can be productive but without really embracing and harnessing one's own divine feminine, I don't think you can be a good witch um, in reality or in, in these shows. And I think the, the bad witches, as they're labeled, or the villains, have just gone out of alignment without healthy feminine um, mentorship, without the divine feminine playing a big role in their lives. They're going to go over to a, to a darker, more destructive side. And as I've been taught philosophically, you know, masculine energy is the department of getting stuff done. It's productive. It's actually, you know, in Eastern philosophy, it's the light source. It's the heat. It's the warmth. And it's the feminine energy that is the cool, dark mystery. Um, And I think that's where real power comes from, is surrendering to knowing that there is something way bigger than us in the universe. And I think that's where witches really do draw their power from, is believing in something far greater than themselves. And in the positive female, you know, which lineages, women were praying for the healing of the earth for centuries, millennia even. Um, and it wasn't until the dark ages when the church were frightened of that power and misunderstood it that Friday the 13th was considered, you know, was deemed to be a superstitious and, and um, uh, unholy day. Uh, because people became frightened of the mm-hmm. divine feminine. And I think, you know, when we look at what's really happening in our consciousness now, as we try to evolve, I think men need to be given, you know, give themselves permission to reclaim their own divine feminine so that they can be in balance and not blow up the bloody world. I think that's wonderfully put. Uh, Claudia Black, do you have a favorite pop culture witch? A favorite what? Pop culture witch. Oh, 
I did love I I did love Bewitched. I have to say, <laughs> I think I was probably watching reruns as a kid. By the time it came out in Australia, um, uh, and her was it her sister, her naughty sister? Her, yes, like, played also played by uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. In, in, a, in a black wig. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and you know, oh my god, and even just not necessarily a witch, but genie from I Dream of Genie. Sure. I mean, these were coming through, I guess, from the sixties. That by the time they came to Australia in the late seventies or eighties, that was sort of the diet of television that we were receiving <laughs> in Australia. We would get sort of fifty percent English, maybe if you watch the BBC, and fifty percent, <laughs> if not more, American content. And when you think about the sort of the patriarchal storytelling, there's this woman trapped in a bottle and she, her, her master's wish is, is her command and just the way <laughs> feminine was depicted in all oh, of yes. this story. And that's why partly I'm so grateful to have come through in an era where women were allowed to be angry and ugly and, you know, ugly in their emotions or mm-hmm. unconventionally attractive or more masculine in their appearances. I certainly am. I'm not Miss White Picket Fence. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it wasn't necessarily witches that I, fir- it was sort of warriors and soldiers that I first think I identified as as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Having grown up as a young girl watching these sort of, um, these shows, um, you know, the Muppets had a big impact on me archetypally. I thought that was just pure genius. It was amazing to, to work with the Henson Company down the line. Yeah. But it was when I saw those, just those strong, I saw Sigourney Weaver in Alien and I saw Linda Hamilton in Terminator and I just was like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. I know how to do that. And it was part of that new sort of the shift where women were allowed to claim their anger and we have a lot to be angry about and I don't know by the way my goodness I've just seen twice Hannah Gadsby's special on Netflix Nanette um, it's incredible it's it's mm-hmm. it's an historic piece of storytelling and you know my kids and I you know at one point we were you know we were watching Once Upon a Time and and really enjoying watching all those fairy tales unfold mm-hmm. and and seeing them sort of everything being given a reboot and it's such an interesting you know, my son came to me, my younger son came to me a few years ago and said, Mama, is, is Batman is Batman for kids or for adults? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He's all a superhero for, for kids or adults? And I said, what an incredible question. Why do you ask that? And he said, well, every time I ask you if I can watch this new movie, you say, no, it's not appropriate for kids. But it's a superhero, like it would be Batman and The Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. and things like that. I would say, wow. I guess because we grew up with them and they were ours, kind of like the baby boomers, we're just not ready to let go of them yet. So they've grown up and gone dark as we have. Um, and we're exploring the more dark aspects of, of them in a more realistic setting rather than sort of having the the pop, wow, bang and the side of, you know, the sound effects yeah. and the underwear on the outside. <laughs> We've sort of grown that model of superhero. And I think we're doing that too with witches. And it's great to see them shifting into more multi-dimensional, uh, as you say, sympathetic characters um, because villainy isn't isn't born in a vacuum. But it is very interesting with science fiction and fantasy storytelling how how valuable it is for our for Western culture to be also cultures in general 
to be able to view aspects of humanity but from an alien or outside perspective because otherwise it becomes very didactic and very shaming mm-hmm. um so it's sort of i think it's easy it's an easier pill to swallow when we when we you know endow other creatures with the villainy mm-hmm. um well but I think- yeah i think I think you've been an important part of the ongoing conversation in maturing these sort of character tropes. Um, please tell people where they can find you online and what's coming up for you next. Uh, I am... Oh, I'm a funny participant when it comes to social media. <laughs> I've actually grown to... I, I like the community that can evolve on Twitter, so I'm I'm... I guess it's at Claudia Black or the... Uh, what am I on Twitter? Good Lord. <laughs> we'll we'll find it and link to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm the Claudia Black at um, Instagram because some, there's already another Claudia Black. How dare she out there? <laughs> um, and I, I love interacting with people if they can be respectful. I love if they teach me and have a different opinion to me about things. I actually invite that discussion. I'm on line to learn. I believe sort of someone did help me and set up a Facebook page for me and I haven't been interacting there directly. Um, but you, you're more likely to find me on, on Instagram through imagery and story and Twitter through politics mostly. Thank you so much for chatting, Claudia. I appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. And, and, and I just want to say vis-a-vis the politics, I just keep getting really frustrated that 45 keeps referring to himself as a witch. <laughs> yeah, a witch. This is a witch hunt. <laughs> yeah, this ain't a witch hunt, baby. No. This ain't a witch hunt. You got that <laughs> the right. Rest of, the rest of us have actually been witches in past lives. Know what a real witch hunt is. Um, <laughs> it's been amazing, really, to hear women who identify as, you know, members of the Wiccan community saying, "I am a witch," and I practice. You know, it's 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 a positive practice, and there are a lot of people around the world, sort of praying for for us to evolve before we. Um, you know, come to some unfortunate um, eventuality. So, at, were it not for witches, I think I, I think we might not even be having this conversation. So, <laughs> I uh, credit where credit is due to the to the real witches of the world right now. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, now is the time for you to call up your local comic book shop and pre-order. The only thing I care about, my new Vertigo comic called Hexwives. It's about witches, and it's about gender politics. Does that sound fun? Probably not, but it is. The artist is amazing. The colorist is amazing. The editors are unbelievable. Uh, I'm just hanging on for dear life and hoping that people buy this so I can tell dozens and dozens of stories in this world. So please call up your local comic book shop. If you don't know where it is, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code, and uh, order that comic, Hexwives. It comes out on Halloween. You just tell them you want it, they'll hold a copy for you, and then you go to the store and buy it. It's easy. It's like $4. And I think you're going to like it. I do. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. This is it. This is how a podcast starts. I'm going to uh, ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphones and tell us a few places where the listener may have seen your name on TV. And Ramla, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, my name is Ramla Mohammed. Uh, I was recently on Scandal. 
as a Forever. writer producer. Yeah, for the whole time. <laughs> Were you there the whole from yeah, the, entire the whole run? time I was a researcher season one oh, and no then way. season two I became a writer and went awesome. through the whole time. Um I also worked on a show called Still Star Cross that was briefly on ABC. And um like as an assistant I worked on Off the Map, Grey's Anatomy. So I kind of came up through the Shondaland camp. So, yeah. yeah. I'm really curious to hear about that. We've had a few Shondaland writers, but oh, we've cool. never really dug in on like what 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 do you learn there? It must be everything. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get into, into that. It. Yeah. Okay, what did you, what did you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Holly Henderson. Uh, most recently working on a show called Hit the Floor. Uh, before that, uh, was on really was on a lot of CW shows. Came up uh, on Smallville, and uh, then to Secret Circle and Beauty and the Beast, and um, Hit the Floor had a we went away for a minute, and I was over on a show called Stitchers at Freeform, and then now Hit the Floor's come back, and that's where I am now. There's going to be a lot of Hit the Floor talk today, because James is also here. Oh, hello. Uh, James LaRosa, uh, creator of Hit the Floor, and basically for the last uh, half decade, it's been Hit the Floor <laughs> all day, er day. <laughs> um, and before that, I mean, basically lots of pilots, sort of some <laughs> schlock TV movies, uh, more pilots before that, some good TV movies. Um, but I have a, I think, a, a sort of a strange background every time anyone's around me and they talk about all their credits, uh, um, all the different shows. Um, I didn't really go through the writer's room so much. I was a staff writer on a show called DC back in, I think, the 1800s. Uh, it was mid-season. <laughs> <I remember> that, <laughs> there's, there's lots of behind-the-scenes reasons to remember that show. Maybe not on-screen, but definitely on-screen. Um, but, uh, and... And, and then I just kind of pilot, 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 mm -hmm. pilot, 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 and wound up running a show. Which this comes up every once in a while, and that's sort of been my experience, too, is, you know, you know, you can make sort of a decent living for a while, selling oh, a yeah. pilot or two every year, and kind of you inch closer to hopefully having them made. So let's let's talk about breaking in. Let's let's do that with all of you. Um, James, tell me about that strange way of breaking in because it when you are living that way it sort of in fits and starts yeah and and I, so i have a, a friend actually my former boss margaret Oberman, who teaches uh sometimes this sort of um ucla extension class about like with kids who kids 20 somethings <laughs> 30 somethings kids i'm now ancient uh about breaking in and she has really all these famous friends um who you know she was a saturday night live writer she wrote for eddie murphy um, and she would have all these really famous people with them and would be like, oh yeah, so, you know, I just remember when I, you know, when my friend Dan Aykroyd asked me if I want to swing by, what, and, I, and I just don't have that story. Right. Um, but, uh, my story is, is the struggle. Um, I, I mean, how far back do I go? I, yes. I'm curious to see where you want to start. I mean, the, I'll, I'll start in, <laughs> I, I'll say this. I, when I graduated from Syracuse University as some fabulous people can. Uh, I, nice. <laughs> three years Shout counts. Out. Um, and, uh, I moved out to LA, um, and didn't know anybody out here. And so for a couple of years, I was actually Margaret Oberman's writer's assistant. Um, and for those two years, I was in, I had an, I was at a, a my own office with a laser printer, which was very exciting for me. It was inkjet back in my apartment. And I would what, just, let me interrupt yes. you for a second. I apologize. Please. I'm going to interrupt Really, this is the juiciest part of my entire, <laughs> my inkjet printer. I mean. Well, I want to I want to dig in on something. So what was she working on at the time? What were you being exposed to? Um, uh, I, it was at Big Ticket Television, which mm -hmm. I think only exists as a Judge Judy. Like, <laughs> okay. I, it, we, Judge Judy was one of our shows. Yeah. 
Um, and she had a deal, a development deal there um, for half hour. And she was always in development and never in production at that time for those two years. So really, I, I it really, I just did not do a lot, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I was, so I had all the time in the world to work on my stuff, hmm. really. Um, and it was fun because I was, I got to work for Mr. Spelling by, it was like a satellite company of, Oh, of, of the, and I just grew up on all the spelling shows so that I just mm-hmm. sort of was, so I got to go to like the spelling Christmas balls <gasps> which were amazing <laughs> and you meet like the whole cast of Nano 2.0 and Melrose Place and they're all like four feet tall and you're like this is so crazy um, but yes so no, so blown. yeah it, well I mean when you're like hanging out with like Kelly and Donna you're and, just you're saying things that and Billy and Allison and like yes blow my mind it's it's it, it was pretty great Um, but yeah, I wish I could say that, um, it was this sort of life altering experience where I learned the ins and outs of the business, but really I learned that you could come into an office that a lot of money gets paid. We had a lot of writers who had deals there. Um, and as I said, judge Judy was the show that we basically, (laughs) right. That was keeping the lights on. Um, I think they had Moesha. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, but anyway, it was, it was. So it's interesting. So you weren't getting the hands-on experience, but you were having, you did have time to write. So you were sort of writing new stuff for yourself. Yeah. And I had friends that were out, like they'd leave by seven, they'd be out having like the big Hollywood life. And I would stay in my office until 10 PM and work on my spec script. So I had like an NYPD blue. Mm -hmm. I'm really dating my, this this is going to be like a time capsule. We should, I mean, I think, think we all sort of came up during that era when you wrote a spec of an existing show to get staffed on. Yeah. Now I won't even read them. If someone tries, if there's one mission to this podcast, it's to bring back specs because I think there really Mm, is no better indicator of what the job is. Yeah, exactly. But, spec of existing show spec script oh god no i totally disagree this is gonna be our first fight (laughs) this might be um as as i think we all know in the process of how much your writing is really in an episode i don't i i i actually learn more about a writer by their original Mm -hmm. material than i do by their version of someone else's show that's just personal i want to see what words they use i want to see what characters they create i want to see what their Mm -hmm. instincts are um, I loved my episode of NYPD Blue, my spec, and it got me my agent and all that That's stuff. Right. But nowadays, I just feel like if I'm reading, you know, a a scandal, for an instance, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going, wow, Shonda really was behind such a great show. I'm not thinking, you know, mm-hmm. Sally, no name, knock that one out of the park. <laughs> but isn't the job like you're hiring these people to emulate mm-hmm. your voice mm-hmm. on your show? Yes. So. What's the indicator of this that? This really is or our do first just, fight, isn't it? It is. <laughs> no, I, th- I really, I sincerely think there's value in here's both. The, yeah, here's the the safety that I have learned in my job is that it it is not the end of the game if a writer turns in a script mm-hmm. to me that is not completely in my voice because I've had it happen. I mean, the okay. showrunner does take that script and then and then puts it in their own voice and sometimes it's it's easier than other times sometimes it's brutal and you're like okay it's a page one um but in general i know i can do that mm-hmm. and so it's that's not the hardest part of your it's job not anyway. the hardest well well yeah, <laughs> yes that's true um but i much it's true i know that i can create certain types of stories and if someone can come along and create a different type of story that isn't necessarily my forte. Like when Holly and Don came along, this, the sample that I read was like sci-fi basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And that wasn't my experience. And certainly that's not hit the floor. There's no aliens on hit the floor. Mm -mm. Um, But I was inspired by this, by what they were doing. And also the voice to me was really interesting. Hmm. And I knew it was theirs as opposed to, you know, Shonda's or as opposed to, you know, right. Um, that's interesting. So you were able to write these specs. You got them mm-hmm. into the hands of an agent. It was a long process. And so it for two years, I would send these um, query letters out to agents, which I think they still do. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think it's very hard to get representation these days from what I understand from doing these classes with Margaret. But um, at the time, I would send, you know, I would research the, the shows that I love, the writers that were on them, and send the agent scripts and I'd say, you know, I'm a big fan of your client. I would be a cheaper version of that client. (laughs) Mm. Would you like to read my script? And then I have still to this day a folder full of those letters that I photocopied. And then I would write on them what the assistant would say each time I called. They just, you know, call back in a couple of weeks. Oh, they've been really busy this weekend. Promise this weekend. Oh, it was a award show, whatever. And so for two years, and I didn't stop. I'm like, Jefferson, better off dead. I think that were one crazy summer, which is the one with the kid on the bicycle. It's like, I want my $2. Dead, yeah. That's the one. I was that, I was, to get my agent, I was that kid. So if I sent you a query letter, you're fucked. Like, I, you're, you are, you know, in my line of sight, you're not getting away. And if you say, I'm going to read it or call back yeah. or whatever, I'm, you will read it and I will call back. They may be giving you the Hollywood wow. no, but you're hearing Correct. call back. Exactly, right. the Hollywood no. And so, and I like, and, and there are agents who work today who are huge and i have the i still have that letter and then of course they're calling me going oh i have a client who'd be great on your show and of course they don't remember that they've just rejected me for two years straight but ultimately uh the way that i got my first assistant uh my first agent was because an assistant mm-hmm. became an agent who i kind of buddied up to yeah. and so which is not an uncommon story mm-hmm. we often hear about that is the assistant who is going to be young and hungry and want to mm-hmm. find a hot new client mm-hmm. And if they read something they like, then they may grab you up. Well, and that's for the people I know, uh, the different people who listen to this are both kind of in the game and really trying to be in the game. Mm-hmm. But as someone who now, and I don't know why I keep isolating myself as saying I'm so old, but as someone who's been doing this for, you know, 20 years. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, okay, I'm there with you. <laughs> okay, good. It's, um, I'm glad we can swear. Um, it's It's... Those people are still in the business. Those assistants are still in the business. So if you're going to, and I, this is one of the things I always say, if you're going to be like, don't be an asshole to anybody. Mm -hmm. If you're keep people in your life that are solid and good because they will still be in this business and you will work with them. You'll be shocked in 20 years. You will need them badly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. I want to pause you there and I want to pick that up in a minute. Um, But Rama, let's talk about your coming up. It seems like you sort of went through the assistant route. Yes. Is that right? Yes, for sure. Um, I went to grad school. So I'm actually from L.A., which I'm one of those weirdos who are actually wow. born and raised here. You're surprisingly <laughs> normal for that. <laughs> so, yeah, you're so normal. <laughs> um, but I didn't, you know, have any connections necessarily. Uh, so I was like, well, I, I want to do this. I want to write. So I went to USC for mm-hmm. for writing program for two years. And, um, and then a year after I graduated, uh, I had a friend who worked at private practice as a PA and heard about an opening at Grey's Anatomy. And he was like, send me a resume now, you know, because... Interesting. Every any once a job like that opens up, pe- they're getting like ten or fifteen yeah. resumes within At like least. like two hours. Yeah. Um, and it's not from you know monster dot com or <laughs> it's just from yeah. people who work there. So, um, I sent my resume and I got the job. 
And that was uh, season six of Grey's. And I was a huge Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. fan. I actually had to kind of downplay how much <laughs> I loved Grey's Anatomy because oh I thought they might not hire me because that, that I might be a crazy person. Um, uh, but Wait, I want, so I want to <laughs> stop here and back you up for a minute. Um, at USC, mm-hmm. so you knew you wanted to write. Did you know you yes. wanted to write TV? You know, I, I didn't. It's interesting because it was... I graduated in 2008 and it was kind of at that time when people were starting to talk about yeah. showrunners and what TV people did. And, but I still was kind of into film mm-hmm. and it, it really wasn't until I started working at Grey's Anatomy that I was like, Oh wait, these people just like sit on these couches and then they talk about <laughs> stories and then they laugh and then someone comes in and brings them lunch. I was like, no, I, I want to do <laughs> for sure. I'm curious about the USC program, you know, knowing that you wanted to write, film, knowing that you wanted to write, you know, drama, whatever, uh, right. narrative. What what was the course like? What did you take out of it? Or what did you learn that you still use today? I think, you know what, it's interesting because there's two things that I got out of it. The, the main thing being just having to write fast. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when you're writing on your own, at least for me, you know, I had a full-time job yeah. and I was, you know, busy or tired and I, I used to live in New York and, you know, it'd be like, I want to go out. And you know, suddenly you've been working on a script for a year and, yeah. you know, life goes by fast. But when I went to USC, it was like a semester, like you had, you know, eight to 10 weeks and you had to f- from start to finish. Yeah. And I just think the fact that I did it was very helpful to me because I think until you do that process very fast, which is what you have to do if you're going to be a professional um, and even faster than that. But um, once you do it, you're like, oh, wait, I don't have to spend, you know, a year of my life on one <laughs> script. Like I can do this faster. Yeah. And I, I think that was helpful. And also just the fact that I got my first job was from another colleague, you know, the, sure. who you know is everything. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you're not either getting, if you don't have a famous friend or, you know, if you don't know anyone, I tell people, yeah. you know, either try to, you know, go through the agency, like in the mailroom, mm-hmm. just start that way or, you know, go to school or go take extension classes or something yeah. just to meet people because um, that's so key. And that was what was key yeah. for me. You know, Growing your network in an organic way, especially. Absolutely. You know, not going out and chasing people down. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, with my peers and, yeah. I, you know, I completely agree. The people who are your peers, who are assistants, those people are a lot of my friends are, you know, working writers or became development execs from my class. Uh, you know, the ones that kept at it. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in the no asshole theory because I, I always yeah. say like I like 95 percent of people and the other five percent of people I don't like are just like and they you're stick dead out, to me they, and <laughs> like, they stick out like a sore thumb. Absolutely, yeah. and you remember because you're like absolutely. you man, like you're not a good person, and you just remember yeah. that. And I remember it as when I was an assistant, and you know you remember it when you're producer level. Well, that's so. an interesting thing, and this came up in the the conversation I just had is like. People treat assistants different than they treat the people they're going to meet, the showrunner, whoever it is. And that says a lot about those people. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious to hear about your assistant uh, work, especially that first job. Did you even know what you were in for? You know, it's interesting because I had worked in so many jobs before that. Like I I remember getting a letter when I was like 24 that I'd like, like reached the limit of my social security like, oh points or something God. that I had had so many jobs that I finally, oh, like you can get your social. I was like, wow, what? what is this? <laughs> Did you start when you were five? Like 15, yeah, I was like 15. I worked at The Gap and then I worked at, like, I worked at Fox Searchlight. I worked at uh, LA Sparks. I worked like I was wow. all over the place. So 
Um, so I knew what it was like to be an assistant. Um, but I think, okay. so, you know, I got, I had a master's degree. I was like 28 when I was getting coffee, PA, yeah. you know, I remember, you know, having to put butter on a bagel, you know, like you're just like, you just have to take a deep breath <laughs> and you do have to check your ego and think about what is the, what is the mission? Like, what do you yeah. want at, at the end of this? And everyone was very kind and nice to me. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was working in some kind of hell you know, right. place. So everyone was nice, but that was the, the job. And I feel sometimes assistants coming up can be impatient and say, I've been here six months and nothing's happened. And you're like, really? <laughs> really six months, <laughs> you know, or like even a year. And I was, I knew the assistant before me had been the writer's PA for two years before mm -hmm. he got promoted. So I was like, I'm just going to see what happens and I'm going to work hard and work on my stuff. Yeah. Most importantly. Well, and that's that's the next part of the question is like, how did you start to make inroads as a writer? So okay, so I'm so this story I tell people because it's a warning of so so Jenna Bands I became her assistant for Off the Map and she was awesome, and she was like, um, you know, I'm gonna read assistants material, you know, if and it's good, I'll you know I'll staff an assistant. So I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> she's not gonna staff, you know, in my head because I didn't have anything. So to make myself feel better, I was like, there's no way she's staffing an assistant. And then she did. She staffed one of the assistants who's had a great sample, mm -hmm. and he was a hustler. And, you know, he got the job. And I remember going, real, like, I did I really waste this opportunity yeah. to be staffed? And, I mean, I was staffed. It took two years for me to get staffed after that. But I tell people, I'm, I say, you know, I know it's hard to be an assistant and you're tired. And, like you said, some people, you going out at 7 p.m. living the Hollywood life. But it's like you do. After that, I was at, like, on the weekends working on my spec. I wrote a Mad Men spec. I wrote a Shameless spec. And I wrote a pilot. And mm -hmm. it, it was, it was like, I was like, never again, never yeah. again am I going to be in this environment where people are willing to read my stuff and not have anything. I think there's a lot more opportunity in this town than people consider yeah. because it's so hard to break in. And so I think you're kind of like, oh, OK, so it's not going to happen because yeah. it's true. It is it is it is a crazy lottery. Like you have to really hit six super numbers to even like be able to get in the door. Yeah. But once you're in the area, there's a lot of opportunity. You just have to be that person. Like when I when I think I'm sure all of us actually there is a time when it's midnight and you're at work and you're exhausted and you're like, holy hell. And if you have someone there who's an assistant who is just there with you and has like, you know, that you can rely on them and they're in the trenches with you, that person I can guarantee you is going to get some sort of reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For and there's sure. also, I mean, it seems like you learned this the hard way, uh, <laughs> right. but <laughs> being ready for that opportunity, Absolutely. right? Having the material. And so it's like being physically ready, but also being emotionally ready. You being, told yourself that they, this wouldn't happen. Exactly. And and also, I think, too, like keeping going, because sometimes people miss out on opportunities and they go, well, it just then it's not. Yeah. If it didn't happen this one time, it's never going to happen. Yeah. It's easy know? to be discouraged. In this yeah. Business. But it's like if. I just knew I'd been through other jobs and I was like, I don't think there's anything else I'm qualified to do. So I really hope this works out. <laughs> so I just said, I'm just going to try it until, you know. And, you know, I, when I became a writer, when I was on Scandal, I was still the youngest person on the show at 31 or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So um, I think there are a lot of myths about, you know, people say, oh, well, I'm already in my mid-30s and it's too late. It's like, no, we had a writer... Uh, Paul Davies, who came on Scandal as a staff writer, and he was, you know, had been a lawyer yeah. his whole career, you know, and, you know, went on to create for the people. And, you know, like, it's, mm -hmm. awesome. so I think I, I, I tell people, I'm like, it's if you really know you want to do this, you you have to 
be dedicated. Well, and that's everything you're saying is the same mentality when you're sending the stupid fucking query letter right. to an agent. <laughs> exactly. After a year, you're like, this is humiliating. And Absolutely. yet I'm not stopping. And yeah, yeah. and you didn't stop. No. Yeah. Exactly. Tenacity, you know, it, really, there's something to it in mm-hmm. this business. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to sort of skip ahead a little bit. Was it while you, you did the Disney ABC program? Yeah, right? I did the Disney Was that ABC. while you were assistanting? That was while I was an assistant. So Scandal, I got to Scandal and uh, became was a researcher on Scandal. Oh, right. And um, we found out we got seven episodes. And this is in 2011. This is not now when everyone's right. very happy about seven <laughs> yeah. episodes. This was like, oh, okay. So this is going to be a one season show. I didn't realize that was the first yeah, order. Yeah, so that was the order. And, wow. and it was going to be like in April or something. It just, it just felt like it wasn't going to last. And I was like, oh, I, my job will be over in October. I need to have do something in the Disney uh you know, fellowship, I think it was like in three weeks or something when it was due. And I just hustled. <laughs> like wow. I was like, I, I, you know, talked to my old bosses to get um, Mark Wilding and Jenna Banz. I said, oh, can you please write me with some recommendations? Mm-hmm. And I and I had at that time they required two specs and I only had right. one. And these are these these require specs of existing. The, yeah. Shows. Most yes. of the fellowships. A lot of those fellowships. I think some of them now will accept like an original pilot right? and a spec or uh, there's okay. usually like I think you can write a pilot, too. But. I think initially you do need a spec. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I wrote a Mad Men spec in three weeks. I mean, I was unemployed, but but, <laughs> but I was like, this is going to happen. Banged it out, yeah. Yeah, and I did. And and that was another thing. I was like, so I take, like I said, a year to write one script and then three weeks to write another. It You, you know, you surprise yourself. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I did that and then I got into the Disney program mm-hmm. um, the next, you know, the next year and then. Um, and then came back to Scandal through the program. Oh, interesting. Yeah, That's that was kind of like, I, I kind of, I got in the program, I was like, so guys, I'm free. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. Which, yeah, we'll say, the people who go through the fellowship are staffed, are like free staff, the studio pays for them. Yes, exactly. Right? So it was an incentive. It, it was like, my yeah. cost to you is nothing. Yeah. So any value I can add mm-hmm. was, you know, it, again, I, I really believe you have to figure out, you know, your kind of play and how you're going to, Absolutely. And did you get an agent through the fellowship? No, I got an agent through um, one of the writers, Jenna, who liked my uh, Shameless. Oh, so even before? And passed it along to uh, UTA. Oh, that's great. And they, they really liked it. And then I just kept sending UTA samples of things I've been writing. writing and they're like, you write a lot of stuff. And I said, I just, I don't want any doubt yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, great. that I'm committed to this. Yeah, show them so, you can do it. Yeah. I mean, there is, you often hear the story of the writer who has one script, right? Yeah. And it may be a great script, but that's not going to, that's not the job. That's not going to get you the work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll pick up there. Uh, Holly, tell us about your, your breaking in. Where did you come from? How did you decide you want to start doing this for a living? Did you get tricked into it? What happened? <laughs> no, it, well, it was, uh, it was, I had a, an interesting path, I think, in that I grew up in Virginia, never think, thinking of California and LA as like somewhere that was just, you know, on another planet. And, <laughs> and I went to school and I worked as a social worker for several years and, um, some life changes happened, and I moved out here to connect with family. And I'd always loved writing. Part of my job at working as a social worker was I, I would do custody home studies. Mm-hmm. And I remember I feel like that was like my first experience of like my boss coming in and saying, 
okay, so the idea that a guy met you down at the end of the driveway with a shotgun, important to put in there. But <laughs> the idea that the couch was a Ralph Lauren and it was red and had flowers, maybe not needed. And then I was going, okay, all right, all right. But I like this. I enjoy writing. You know, I mean, it was, it was difficult, but there was just uh, something I had always had through just growing up. I liked journaling and writing short stories and had mm-hmm. some teachers through high school and then but college I was a psych major and then I went on to get my master's while I was working as a social worker and so cut to kind of an earlier midlife crisis than normal moved to LA to reconnect with family and landed a job through a connection on Dawson's Creek and it was its second (laughs) season I know it what really a writing job what kind of a job no it was a well I went in for the interview and was told I would be the writer's assistant. Okay. And when I walked in that morning, they sat me at the receptionist desk. And this was the, aging myself, but this was back when everybody who was a writer had their own phone in their office. And there literally was a, a, a production secretary, mm-hmm. not just a production assistant. Mm-hmm. So you, so I was like, well, oh, okay, I thought. That was gonna be the writer's assistant. Okay, all right, I'll I'll go with. I'm gonna run with this, and I think Kevin Williamson, I remember, was driving in from his Outer Banks Entertainment, and I. They were changing the phone systems, and the writers were all coming in their first day and getting set up. And I think I hung up on him like four times. Oh my god! <laughs> and I thought my career's over on my very first day. And they were really sweet. Paul Stupin, who was with the show, and it was the second season. And um, he was basically just go down and hide in the copy room again, <laughs> copy room, but like go die, hide no. in the copy room. Well, just, just don't worry about it. And so um, I came up on that show and got, um, you know, eventually uh, moved up to writer's assistant after that, that first season and was writing my butt off. You know, I'd have to be there at 830 in the morning and I was living in Studio City and we were, you know, we were, it was a in Santa Monica. So mm-hmm. it was a big oh, drive yeah. and you got the idea of the traffic. So I was leaving at five in the morning so I could get there to just write for like an hour of quiet time before yeah. th- everybody started coming in the door. Right. So, and I was taking a lot of classes at UCLA extension cause I was playing catch up cause I wasn't, mm-hmm. um, I had, I didn't have that film school background. Um, and I was yeah. also seeing, is this really what I want to do? Um, so well, I wasn't something, let me, let me stop you here for a sec. There's yeah. something about, getting that writer's assistant job and there's no preparation for that. No. Like how did you were thrown into this and that was a tough room too. Very, very. Um, yeah. How did you even know what to do? I just kind of wung it. I mean, you know, you just, you wing it, you just go, I'm going to check, like you were saying, you just check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. Cause it was literally, but there were a lot of really cool people on that show mm-hmm. that I got to like meet and, um, who were very kind and but there also was a lot of there were a lot of people that were cycling through like I think we had a season where we went through four showrunners in a season so it was it was a lot of like just just stay grounded and <laughs> and but there was a lot of positivity and they gave me opportunities like there was a little Dawson's Creek book series and they're like mm-hmm. do you want to write a couple pitches and I I got to write a couple and then Dawson's desktop was this huge big thing that came out where it was you could 
fans could go on and look at like what was Dawson's homework that you know, and <laughs> what he wrote a love letter to Joey and it's in the trash bucket. And, oh my god! You know, I, I so mean, wish I knew about that. Okay, <laughs> but I'm just saying. So so I had so and I will always feel very fortunate that I got my first spec script um, mm-hmm. on the show off of kind of. Proving to them, yes, I have writing, and I wrote tons of specs, and they read them, and um, it went okay. It was one of those where I was like, maybe it came too soon, and I needed I needed more time, and it, it that was a hard lesson learned. It, but it was it was a good learning experience. In the mo- in the minute that it was happening, I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote the spec. I wrote the I wrote an episode. They're not going to hire me for next season. Crap. <laughs> yeah. What do you do? You know. And I had. That's where I think because I had. Maybe it was because I wasn't right out of college and I had already worked in a completely different industry. And I walked in and had to have the hard conversation with my boss to mm-hmm. say what's my role for next season on this show and had to get the hard feedback and yeah. went, okay, then I'm going to, I guess I got to, I'm going to go. And they're like, you can stay. We love you. We will, right. we will work. We'll, and I was like, I think I need to kind of just broaden my wings. Mm-hmm. And so then I went from show to show to show that got canceled, canceled, canceled. <laughs> but learned a lot, got yeah. to sit in a lot of writers' rooms, got to see different ways that different writers, like a Odyssey 5, Line of Fire. And then finally I landed on, I moved up from writer's assistant to script coordinating. Mm-hmm. And I got a job on 24. Mm-hmm. And that was where I really got it. You know, it, like, so it took four shows before I got onto a show that, I felt very comfortable with my job. I'd been taking more classes and feeling more confident with my writing and worked for them for two years and got what I think I've heard people call the magical script that finally gets you through the door. And my husband and I were uh, had met uh, my husband out here and gotten married and we were writing together and we wrote a spec or, or, um, I'm sorry, an original. Mm-hmm. And this guy who was Deputy Demetrius, I'll throw him a shout out. He was writing on the show, a lower level writer, and he wanted to read something of mine. And we were just become friends. And I said, well, here's, you know, a, a sample Don and I just wrote. And he read it and he said, you know, Howard Gordon and Joel Cernow and Bob Cochran they were all developing and they were looking for their next project. And he was like, I think this is what they would, I think they'd love this. So he went in kind of as my champion wow. to say, read it. And so I remember that day, Joel had a, the script printed out in his hand. And as he walked by my office, he said, nighttime reading tonight. And my heart <laughs> dropped. <laughs> and I remember driving in, couldn't sleep all night, drove in that next morning and Bob's car and Joel's car were in the parking lot, which normally I was there first. And I had this like, like fantasy of going thinking they're here to talk to me. (laughs) They're so blown away by it that this is what they want to do. And they were. Wow. And I was like, it it was, it was 
a soup. It was a wonderful moment. It was the Cinderella so moment awesome. where they pulled me into the office. They said, this is what we want to do. They had Howard on. He was um, it, it, somewhere else at the time, but they had him on speaker. They had all read the script over the night. They had talked about it um, and pulled me off the script uh, coordinator's desk. And <laughs> Don, who was working at AFI at the time, he came over and we worked with them uh, to just polish it up sold it to 20th century. That's wild. And it went out and nobody bought it. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, where do we go from here? And while it didn't, you know, nothing happened with it, it was the sample yeah. that got us and kind of that, you know, with their with them being behind mm -hmm. it and sure just, legitimized it a little bit yeah and, that but it we, was a quality sample that people could look at and know what you're all about we got our first job on small that's great um, oh, all right awesome. we, yeah. we, i want to ask you uh just to get a little detailed on the difference between writing that dawson's episode that freelance episode yeah. and then writing this pilot mm -hmm. and having been in those rooms in between what are things you picked up in those rooms what do you think was different about the experience of writing the new script. Uh, well, that was an original. Right. So it was definitely coming from, and there were many more samples I had written after mm -hmm. the Dawson's Creek freelance that I got. Um, there was a lot of chaos that was going on on the show, and there wasn't somebody that was really um, firmly running the ship gotcha. when that freelance was written. So there were things that... Now, like, for example, when I went on to Smallville, Don and I were a team. Al Goff and Miles Millar were, created the show. We're a team. They love to hire teams. But when we walked in the first day, we were, like, given this kind of list of rules a young staff writer should know when you are coming into the room. What the was do's on and this list? Best list ever. It was like, go up the, you know, check your ego at the door. Um, as a staff writer in the room, it was a big room. It was like, I think we had like 12 people. Mm -hmm. um, and we would split up into smaller rooms a lot, but we would have a, a larger room from time to time. And there, it was basically, you were playing in the Allen Miles sandbox mm -hmm. and try to stay within that sandbox. And, and you know, work within the parameters as well as, um, you know, Going up the hill was a, a term used a lot, which is like, you know, go up once. If, if your idea is rejected, don't sulk. Don't, you know, keep keep invested. Um, you go up again, but then let it go. And know in your heart either you're ahead of the game and it's eventually going to come back around or you're behind and you'll eventually <laughs> catch up. And so it was little things like that. Then they made fun of like, you know, don't pass notes with your writing partner slash husband. <laughs> that would never happen. But, um, okay. Um, and just kind of really feeling the vibe of the room mm -hmm. and, and um, positivity. Um, don't fall asleep. I mean, I've been in rooms where people have fallen asleep. That's it's good just, advice. Yeah, in general. You, you would think. You would think. But um, <laughs> all this I'll talk. Just, I could just stop there. Yeah, I don't it's know. Funny. It's all this talk about uh, how hard it is to break in and all this stuff, and then people listening are like, "Who the fuck's falling asleep yeah. in a writer's room?" I'll tell you. It yeah. can happen. It, 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 it happens. happens. 
Yeah, it, it's it's amazing when you see it happen. You're like, oh, wait, it's <laughs> happened to you as well. I and I not to me. I have I would literally you've witnessed die. it. No, but you've seen. It. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, this is incredible. So this while we're on the subject of these rooms that you sort of came up in, um, Ramla, I want to come back to you and talk about your first year as a writer on Scandal, mm-hmm. and like you must have learned everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but also it. I mean, it is so terrifying like thinking about season two versus you know season seven uh is just it's like I'm, I'm a different human like mm-hmm. and I think it's 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 so hard because all you want like for so long all you want is to be like I'm a writer you know and then you get in that room and people are talking and you're like what are you saying what oh where oh and then you're like trying to think about your own idea and then you realize yeah. like you know, like they've already moved on and then you are like, okay, I'm going to pitch it. I'm going to pitch something. <laughs> and then someone else says what you've been thinking. And then you're like mad at yourself because you're like, wait, I had that idea. So then you're like, no, the next idea I'm going to pitch. And then you pitch that. And then people are like, eh. and then you're like, I'll never pitch again. So it's like literally just a <laughs> yeah. cycle of self-hate. <laughs> um, so how do you learn to sort of I, keep sane in that and, so and navigate I re- the room? I realized that I needed to figure out what was going to be my contribution to mm-hmm. the room. Like, what am I good at as a, as a human to, to be good in this room? And the one thing was, is that I was like a, a genuine fan of the show, you know? Um, and, you know, like, I think you, a lot of people, write, you know, you write on shows and you like the show, but you go home and whatever. But I was like, I mean, I was kind of like the prototypical scandal audience, you know, like black woman in her like mid thirties, you know, like eating popcorn and wine. Like I remember one time I was just eating popcorn and wine and I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I'm just doing this like without, like not consciously. A little yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would just remember, like I would watch cuts and I would, you know, make sure I read all the revisions coming out and I would just remember everything about the show like I'd be like oh well in episode 211 we did that or episode you know and they'd be like you're so weird but at the same time they'd look to me they'd be like did we do that or Mm. I covered set a lot so when you cover set you tend to remember things more um and you know I could say hey like oh this actor was good or you know I could you know give reports back about um you know different feedback and on Scandal we had a lot of media stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, that had to be written, even though it's kind of in the background of scenes. So I would just write them all, like without mm-hmm. it. I would just be like, I'll just I'll write them. Yeah. I'll write them, and it was a you know great way to show my boss yeah. how I could write. Yeah. And both <laughs> but, of you have mentioned this that these opportunities come up, especially yes. for assistants or young writers. Oh, yeah. And you say yes to them. You say yes, and because sometimes it was if it's a two page scene, you have to write a two page scene to match. Yeah. And, you know, what the in the background of the news thing. So yeah. Or writing we, audition sides. Writing on sides. Yeah. yeah. Writing sides. Any anything. Again, the ego thing. It's like just don't think, mm, well, I don't. That's I'm above that. Yeah. You know, like you're like, nope, I'll do it. Nope. I'll. Yep. I'll stay here. I'll, you know, be times it's like I would cancel things. But like, nope, I'll stay. I'll help. And if you're above that, you won't get asked again. You, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You won't. Well, okay, she's not interested. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, but also besides that, I that's how I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot. You know, Shonda would come in, you know, read a script, and she'd come in and give notes, and you know, I take you know take down the notes, and I mean, it took a long time because she really, I mean, she really is just like so brilliant. Where you're just, you know, we'd spend a week trying to figure out something, and then she just come and be like, oh no, it's that, move that, do 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 do, and you're like what <laughs> you know how did you figure that out so but i will say after and i think this is true for everyone in the room we had a pretty big big room too mm-hmm. like you know 12 or so people 12 13 at one point 
Um, but you just kind of, it just is time. And I think sometimes people don't want to be patient to just take the time and absorb it and be like, it's okay if, you know, you're not, you know, the best at whatever part this is. I, I always felt like I, I got stronger in the room. I was really strong in the room. And then there were certain types of scenes I could do well on the page. And there's certain type of scenes I just couldn't write, you know, like, and that was fine. But I knew what my strengths were and what my strengths were. I really tried to, you know, push that as far as I can. Yeah. What were um, the types of scenes that you felt strong in? Um, you know, anything sassy, <laughs> anything where someone is throwing some shade at someone <laughs> being mean. It's like, I don't know, like, I, I'm a pretty nice person, but I think my inner, like, you know, like want to be mean girl that's not really there comes out. Um, sure. It's a good way to get that out. Yeah, it just like Safe gets way. it out. It's kind of like, I guess, like drama people, like they're funny or like comedy people are kind of like sad. You know how that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So just, you know, again, I, I think you have to be honest with yourself as a writer uh, for sure and and be okay, you know, with the weaknesses and figure mm -hmm. out how you're going to make those not weaknesses. Like yeah. my hero, Beyonce, I'm wearing a Beyonce shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's you know, who just, who just keeps getting better. <laughs> Despite all of her weaknesses. Despite all her weaknesses. Every time you're like, this is the best you can do, <laughs> you're wrong. And then you see Beychella and you're like, oh my God. That's, that's what I, there, that's, I think that's what we all aspire to. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's something, you know, both of you brought up about coming up in these rooms, which is to sort of let go of ego and be willing to learn. Um, James, I want to hear about uh, selling hit the floor, but mm -hmm. you didn't have this experience of coming up in rooms. Right. So what was your learning curve up to selling that show? Um, so this kind of goes back to keeping good people in your life. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I, the first, so I was on DC as a staff writer and then, um, I thought, okay, this is great. I've broken in. I'm just going to go from staff to staff to staff. It's, it's finally happening. Uh, and, uh, and that wasn't happening. Um, it would come down to like me and someone else and that other person just must've been like, just that much better. I don't know. <laughs> but so, uh, but then I met, um, a woman named Maggie Molina, um, at a, uh, drinks party shoes friends with someone else that worked at big ticket television and i remember just to date it for everybody our debate was britney versus christina and i'm pretty <laughs> sure we're on the same side and it wasn't much of a debate but anyway um but it was just going out for a night of drinks what have you and then i and then she's like oh you know you should come in and you know you're right you should come in and pitch you know some things and pretty immediately i had actually two movies she was she at the time she was head of original movies at mtv and so almost immediately i had two movies with her set up just because we just kind of grooved. We're very pop culture mm -hmm. oriented. And, um, and so then I kind of got into the TV movie world. Um, and eventually it became, and I, but I was still taking staffing meetings. Mm. Um, but it became very clear to me that I couldn't fake it. Like I couldn't go to these meetings with shows and I read the script and I'm not saying like, you know, I should ice cream. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if I'm reading a script that I think is terrible or I'm just not into it, it's a military drama. I could give to whatever's about a military drama, whatever. So I'd go to these meetings and I just, I mean, I would do all the song and dance and I would be like, oh, 
And I would have this one expression that I would say, I don't know if Holly has heard me say this, but, um, <laughs> and it was always my dead giveaway for, I don't care. Oh, no. And I haven't invested in what you've written. And my, meanwhile, this is their passion project probably. And like, <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I, I would never know what to say about a show. Oh, it takes place in South Beach. And it's this, you know, it's, it's models and young kids and there's guns. I just, I, was like, I don't care. Anyway. So I would say, oh, I can see the billboard. Like, oh, I can totally, I know I can see the billboard and like, what kind of bullshit? Not like if, if it's not even a compliment, technically, not, if I had written a script and a writer was coming to me and I said, I could see the billboard. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, well, that's, I mean, I, and I apologize to everyone I've ever said that to. Um, but I ultimately came to the conclusion that not only was, and I'm sure that was why I was not getting staff. I mean, frankly, if I, if I'm, if, if someone comes in to hit the floor, I, like you said, you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. I would love if someone came in as like, I love Hit the Floor and here's the X, Y and Z of it all. People love that. And not right. it's not an ego thing. It's like, OK, that's so much shortcutting yeah. that we can do now. And, sure. and, and you have the right energy for the show. And that's wonderful. And so I was not doing that with the meetings I was on. I'm sure they were picking it up. I'm yeah. sure I was a terrible actor. I'm sure they were like, go, <laughs> go, 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 go look at your own billboard. asshole. <laughs> um, and so I pretty much determined that the only show that I'm really going to get staffed on that I will actually like is something that I write, which is selfish and (laughs) welcome. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would do pilot after pilot after pilot and write and sell them. And it was Mm -hmm. great. And I was having my living. Um, And were were these getting shot or were you just selling? Yeah. (laughs) Um, The movies were getting made. Right. Um, But uh, in terms of pilots, no, I mean, I would get these like great deals, whatever. And so and my quote went up. (laughs) Um, as is, Mm -hmm. as is common, you can make a great living and your quote just rises off of nothing. And so, but then I, Maggie Molina fast forward like 12 years and she and I had worked on a couple of things Mm -hmm. together and been great friends throughout the entire time. She said VH1 was looking for a show that was kind of a mix of, they had two hits at the time. One was basketball wives, which is still on the air. God bless them. Um, and it was a reality show and they had single ladies, which was scripted. And they're like, what if this peanut butter and this chocolate <laughs> came together? So they wanted like a scripted show in the world of basketball, which if you're doing a scripted show, that's a soap, you know, through the eyes of the female characters, who, you know, so it just made sense that it was a dancers. And so I um, had kind of fashioned this pitch within just, I want to say it was like a couple weeks mm-hmm. or maybe like what have you. And Maggie was in, uh, gosh, maybe Atlanta. Um, Jeff Old, who ran um, that department at VH1, um, got on the phone together because we couldn't be in the room. And I basically was like, okay, this is a show and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, sounds great. Hangs up. <laughs> and I'm left on the line with Maggie. And I was like, did, did we just sell a show? And she's like, let me call you back. And then she calls back in five minutes. She's like, yep, we sold a show. So after all of like 15 years of just yeah. like trudge, 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 I sold hit the. This is scoop to anyone who's listening. I sold hit the floor over the phone. Wow! And uh, you're an overnight success after Mm -hmm. 15 years. Exactly. And then I yes, but um, but the room is very different. I mean, Holly could maybe speak to this more than I could, but my room is very different than probably a lot of rooms because I don't have the war stories. I don't have the scars. I'm not jaded by seeing people rise above and get the I didn't have that experience where I was sitting next to someone going I have this idea and then they pitched Mm. it and maybe they heard me mutter and took my idea like there's a lot of drama that goes on I've been told in a room but because I don't have that I was I basically have a room that is very I think I don't know if it's Pollyanna I don't know if it's what but I, I don't have 
I don't, I mean, the room is too small to have clicks, frankly, who are you clicking <laughs> with but yourself? Right. We don't have the 12 writers and sometimes right. 13. Um, so we, everybody's, it's a democracy. Every, anytime someone speaks, whether you're me or a staff writer, everybody else listens. Everyone is really supportive. Um, and I mean, I feel like script assignments are really no drama. I feel like it's, it's, it's all very merit based and everyone is invested. So it, like, I remember talking when I was, I was meeting writers, um, to staff and I, and I say that I say, you know, it's, it's. I, I, there's, I don't like conversations behind closed doors. If I see you bully someone at the table, it's going to be like, that just doesn't work here. Blah, 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 blah. And this one woman who I was meeting to write, like cried in in our writer's meeting. And I was like, Oh my God, like what is going on? And she was coming off of a show where the two showrunners were on opposite sides of the country, did not get along at all. It was constant feuding and she was in the middle and it was just a horror story. So she was like, what is this, you know, unicorn show that you're talking about (laughs) where like, you know, and I keep also I keep bankers hours. I mean, everyone's pretty much gone by six and, mm-hmm. you know, so so you want it to be a sane place for everyone. Yes. Now, now the the other part of that is my first assistant that I ever had was through hit the floor when it was bounds um, and it was Sarah Fahey. And Sarah's one of our writers now. And she's she was from day one. Sarah's very much like Holly, where they've been through the machine mm-hmm. and their experience for me has been incredible. Like, I'm so glad that you've been Holly through the trenches because <laughs> when someone, you know, it's not a utopia at sometimes. And sometimes when someone has a hurt feeling because of how things normally work in a room and it didn't work that way here, sometimes someone can either come to me and say they may be feeling this or what have you. Mm. So having, or I remember um, in the first season, they did the call sheet for, if they did the call sheet. And they had someone else's name above mine. And Sarah's like, this, th- it was a different executive producer. And they're like, oh, you know, your name should be up top. And I was like, and I'm so like, I don't give a shit. She's like, no, your name is going up top because you're the showrunner. And it was, it was, in some, it, but it's something that you just don't know if you don't anyway. Sure. So, I mean, Holly could probably tell you more about like what that means in the room. But for me, it was a big learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but learning it, I feel like in a way that um, I always wanted to be in a, I mean, I tried for like years to be in a writer's room and get beyond staff writer. I just couldn't do it. And so I always wanted to be there. And I was like, what would it be like to be an executive story editor and a co-producer <laughs> and a co I always wanted to know. And I just, but, but basically once the show, because I was so close with Maggie and had proven myself to Maggie. Um, and also she's, she's a, and I think she'd not mind me saying that she's a ball buster and she's very network and she was at VH1 at the time as an exec. And so she basically was, I'm sure behind closed doors, she was like, if this guy fucks up, I'm going to swing in and like <laughs> put someone else there or take over. Like she's, yeah. she's going to protect the turf in a right. great way. But you mm-hmm. had the working relationship anyway. Yes. And she knew that she could sort of work. With and you. I learned on the job. Yeah. And, and I think that if I had stumbled, I think she, she was always there for support. I think if I had stumbled badly, she would have been there for a replacement or sure. here's some help, yeah. but it never went that way. And I think That's if right. I was at an ABC, um, a network like that, I would never would have gotten the opportunity. And I'm grateful that VH1 was a place I could actually become who yeah. I am. You can learn the ropes there. The pressure was yeah. off a little bit, even though you have to run this show. Right. Well, and when you say now, like we got seven episodes, isn't that terrible? We, I mean, our episode order is like 10, 12 right. this right. season. Now we're on BET is eight. I'm fine with that. And that actually yeah. helped me. Of course. That helped me learn because we yeah. write everything in advance on hit the floor mm. and then we do production and then we do post. Right. It post is separated more 
by byproduct of the fact that I am on set all the time and I direct, so I can't really be in a yeah. whatever. Anyway, so it was a great way to learn. Well, and it's also, I mean, this show, it's it's not you know explosions, but you have a lot of other action to deal with. It's it's well, you know, we have a really high degree of difficulty when you have. I mean, we essentially have two casts. Mm-hmm. You have, and and each cast is large. It's not castle, you know, where I just have to wrangle the personalities of a couple of people and a few co-stars. I mean, right. I have. At one point, we had 14 series regulars. Yeah, um, and we serviced, I mean, they would, every episode, we would have a beginning, middle, end storyline wow. for them. For each and every one yeah, of them. Yeah, we'd make it work. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And, uh, and, and then we had an entirely different, like, and then we had, like, 11 additional dancers. Yeah. And then we would give them um, stuff to say, you know, during the season and <laughs> have to juggle all that stuff. You know, we had an arena as our standing set. We had all this basketball to do. So it was, and, and for a show on vh1 and now on bet i mean that's a that's not really commonplace for what you see on there so it's we 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 go big yeah uh and it's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot to keep track of um i want to uh ask very briefly um ramla about because you were there for the entire run of scandal about Mm -hmm. bringing that show in for a landing oh uh, well i will say i mean i think we all felt you know as i say hashtag grateful hashtag blessed (laughs) Um, that we knew it was ending, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that is such a great thing to know. Okay. This is the last season. What can we do? Oh, we can push this further. Oh, we can kill this character and not have to think about, you know, what the repercussions of it will be next season. Um, but I think it was, it was difficult because, um, you know, there are a lot of kind of, I wouldn't say like disagree, like disagreements, but different opinions about mm how to end the show. You know, I was the um, kind of like romance person, you know, like every like third episode, I'd be like, you know, Shonda come in and I'd be like, so um, <laughs> what's happening with Olivia and Fitz? You know, like, and then she's like, oh my gosh, please stop. <laughs> so, so I think, and then other people wanted to know specifically Olivia or specifically, you know, David and Abby. And so um, I think, which is good to have different writers invested in different, yeah kind of storylines. So it was, I mean, it was, it was fun until I think about like the last episode, like when we were like, okay, like we, we knew, I think we, we knew like the end end of mm-hmm. the episode, but we were still like, we we're building to how certain things were going to end, but there were still some things we didn't know. And then it's like, okay, well that's, yep. That's what, <laughs> you know, like just deciding, you yeah. know? And um, I think, you know, you know, Shonda was, you know, in there and we're kind of all going back and forth. And so, uh, yeah. And I just remember after the table read, it went well and, you know, she gave her notes and she was like, okay, well, and then we just all kind of like sat there in silence. Cause usually what happened is we talk about the next episode, right. you know, after that. And, uh, and so it was just as everyone kind of looking around and they're like, well, we did it. <laughs> we didn't. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. It was really weird. Um, and so, yeah. And then a lot of us went to do like the last shot, you know, that was mm-hmm. like, you know, way in the middle of the night, but you know, a lot of people were there for that. And, uh, but it was, I mean, it was a, what was great is that, you know, we talk about these horror stories on different shows, but you know, it's scandal was such a hit, you know, in those middle seasons and, you know, kind of toward the end, but, um, that the, we were kind of waiting for the actors to turn. Like we were like, when are they going to turn on mm-hmm. us and hate us? Or like, when are they going to start behaving crazy? And they never yeah. did. I mean, they genuinely loved each other. Yeah. Like, and you had a lovely group. Yeah, and they were all like very nice and professional. And Josh Molina. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, John Molina, and, and and so, 
And I mean, like, you know, I'd had actors come up to me and be like, can I change? Can I take this that out? And you're like, <laughs> yes, it's fine. You know, so they really respected the word. Yeah. So I I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't really have that experience. Yeah. Of, that which I'm, you know, very grateful for, but also in my next thing of still fearing because I'm like, oh wait, I know it's coming. I know it's going to come where someone's going to be locked in their trailer. Well, yeah, <laughs> let me ask you about that. So you're you're under a deal now, and I assume yes. you're developing shows yes. uh, for ABC. Yes. You know, there has to be part of you that wants to recreate the experiences which were positive that yes. you had for seven years. Yeah, um, for sure. How can you start to build that in, even from the from the script phase, right? Like you have control yeah. over the script. That's right. the thing we have control over. Right. So how can you start to think ahead towards that? Or can well, you? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm working on a script right now with Issa Rae, who mm -hmm. you know, does Insecure, and she's she's so awesome and great. And I mean, I'd kind of known her a little bit before. So, you know, I was happy to, you know, not only work with her because she's funny, but also like I'm very into not working with people who are crazy or I'm like my mental state <laughs> is so important. That's a, <laughs> so, that's a start. Yeah. So like, I mean, even if she was, if, if I had heard she was like crazy or difficult, I'd be like, sorry, yeah. I don't care what the, but I just can't do it. So anyway, luckily that's not the, the case, but you know, I know when Shonda was doing Scandal, she did a lot of research on the different actors that she was casting hmm to find out, you know, other people had worked with and get some background in the same way that you would do if you hire writers. If you know someone, you know, on a show, you might call and yeah. find out. So mm -hmm. I think you, you know, do the best kind of research you can about people. Um, and then you never know. And then you just pray, I guess, <laughs> 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 so that it works out. Because sometimes someone can be one way on one show and then sure. they come in another they're environment. A they're I, a guest star. I hear yeah. about certain actors. Oh, they were a dream. It's because they're a guest star. But once they become a series regular, they yep. can be like, oh, hi, here's my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's my real face. Here's my real face. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So you don't know. That's what I'm saying. You just can, sure. you can only do as much as you can. Yeah, and I yeah. think I, I do feel like we're moving now more in a time where that behavior isn't as tolerated where people are losing their jobs yeah. um, because of their behavior. So I'm hoping that curbs people <laughs> to not necessarily behave that way, even though they should really not behave that way anyway as humans. But I think maybe the threat right. of actual, actual consequences. consequences yeah. yeah. And you have to pay attention when some like it's happened to me where someone has been like, I'd be like, oh, so what do you think of that? You know, this particular actor, mm -hmm. life's too short. And I learned my lesson yeah. because I was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, I really uh, this though that people aren't saying these things to you just to be like hey right. here's a funny text <laughs> so, <laughs> right exactly yeah but exactly. but but when all those shows that you develop go and they will um <laughs> you have the it, it's great that you have that attitude because you are the be all end all and and in terms of how people behave in terms of what i mean you've seen on your show like you can put the boot down in many different ways, zero, you know, mm -hmm. that will not be allowed, whatever. And everybody else appreciates it. Right. Because yeah, you can, you can, sure. you can go, you know what? I can tolerate that. So I'm just going to walk away. But mm -hmm. what that person does to everyone else, the minute you walk away, it's like basically leaving your children with like evil babysitter <laughs> who's just beating the shit out of them constantly. <laughs> right. So, and it, and it creates a bad energy uh, around you. So you have to really take the responsibility and it sounds uh, like working on a show of yours would be fabulous. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I just think it's, I mean, it's such an awesome job that we have, you know, like it's such an awesome job that, Oh, like I said, I remember 
like I said, I walked in. I was like, you fools are just sitting here on couches. <laughs> sleeping, sleep, apparently. <laughs> and hanging yeah. out and eating all the two things I love to do. <laughs> and it's like, I want this job. <laughs> and so it just, it, and again, like, I mean, and, you know, working on Scandal, sometimes we had some, you know, late nights. And, and, and during those times, especially 22 episodes, oh, my gosh, it's too much sometimes. Yeah. But um, everyone was very like, you know, sometimes we get into crazy laughter. We had fun. Uh, but again, I agree. Life is too short. And it's like, why ruin this perfect thing we have where we all make yeah. a bunch of money and we get to work <laughs> like, you know, normal hours for the most right. part mm -hmm. and have lives. And, yeah. and don't take it for granted. Yeah, don't take it for yeah. granted. And I'm, I just that's what I mean. Like, I'm not interested. And if someone is poisoned, like you're out, like mm -hmm. I can't. Yeah. You're not going to mess up our little fun time that we're all having. Yeah, so. that's great to hear. Um, I want to ask very briefly. Um, so the fourth season of Hit the Floor, yes, sir, is uh, starts July tenth. Tenth. Ooh, that's right? soon. It's very exciting. Soon. Ten p.m. So 10 as of as of this release, it'll have been on for a couple of weeks. People yes. can catch up. Um, you're on BET now. How mm -hmm. many seasons was VH1? Three. Okay, so this three is the first summer special, which has always been sort of lumped in with season three. Yeah. Sure, um, but this, this is the first season on BET. Correct. Was there a rethinking? Did you get new direction from a new network, or were they like, "We love that, give it to us"? They said, "We love that, give it to us." Awesome. It was the only thing that BET said to me was they were like, "Would you like to come over?" And I was like, I, yeah, "Absolutely." Um, we were never canceled, um, but we were sort of sitting around, kind of mm -hmm. waiting while there's so much stuff that goes on at networks yeah. and stuff that the fans and even the producers don't understand. Um, and so we're just sort of kind of, okay, what's going on? What's happening? And then BET's like, we'd love to actually, cause there were some other shows that were doing musical chairs at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think it was American wife. Is that what it's called? The, the, the sure. Kyle Richard show. American woman. Oh, American oh. woman. That wasn't meant for Paramount. Neither was oh, that. Like, so the shows were sort yeah. of moving around. And so BET snagged us and they said the basically be you, be hit the floor. Um, you have a great fan base and they were fans as well. Um, and so they just said there was nothing and we do things a little bit differently on the show than stuff that I personally have seen on BET. And so I was wondering how certain things would go over. And those are never conversations That's great. ever. And so and they've been really fantastic to us. Um, and uh, and, you know, taking shows over, I think, is is tricky. And I think um, fans are very vocal and there may <laughs> have been instances in the past where shows didn't make the jump as mm -hmm. they would have preferred. Um, and so I think uh, there's always an amount of how is the show going to be? Because God bless our fans. They love the show. And uh, having it be different is a tricky thing. And so I'm excited for them to see, and they will by the time this uh, yeah. drops, as they say, <laughs> drops, um, yeah. that is the same show. It's We're missing we're missing a few people, but, uh, but we have new energy in there, which is awesome. really fantastic. That's great. Congrats. Uh, I want to wrap up by asking you all what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Uh, what are you talking about with your friends? You're ready to go. <laughs> no, I just was like, oh, because I, I think of when people are like, what do you watch? I'm like, what do I watch? Uh, I just watched, my boyfriend and I watched The Staircase. Yeah. And that was just, that was a lot for me. <laughs> um, and I he he got he just got me into Luther, which I'd never seen. I don't oh, know. Like, yeah, I've downloaded scripts to just read their scripts. Really? Yes, oh, it's so good. Yes, it's it funny. is so it's amazing. So good. But I, yeah. like, I, I I like Game of Thrones. Um, uh, you know, I watched The Americans, and uh, um, oh, um, I like Dear White People. I'm like you know, Handmaid's Tale. I watch a lot of. <laughs> 
TV. I'm naming. Right. I'm definitely watching Hit the Floor though. Yeah. I am. Yes. I look. I actually. Oh, you were saying we were talking about this. Yeah. So we I know, started. but I wanted. So um, I want to know, like, what do you? How do you write the like dance sequences? Do you, do you kind of just write? Dance sequence and then someone Atlanta, yeah, Atlanta so burns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so we make sure that the dance has something to do with story. So oh, okay. we don't just go insert dance here and it could right. be any sort of nonsense. We, if we know we have a rivalry or if we know that we have some, you know, some murderer is going to be revealed, whatever it is. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so that is, we have a dance that makes that relevant. Mm-hmm. And then we have an amazing choreographer named Michael Rooney. And uh, he works, our dancers are like beasts, they're incredible. And so we work out kind of the vibe of the dance, what it looks like, what it feels like, the song, and then we get it all together that way. But so it, we, we, we give some direction, but mm-hmm. we also um, let, you know, the people who can actually choreograph Right. Do their thing. Yeah. I sorry. That's I cool. totally just and stole you said, your question. You used to dance. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to dance. And I really appreciate it because I've seen some hit the floor and I really yeah. appreciate watching shows about dance. You know, where people lit, can dance. Yeah. These are real you know, dancers. It's real dancers. Our actors that are dancers dance and our yeah. our ballers ball. Like, oh, yeah, we yeah. don't have the luxury. We shoot two episodes in 13 days. We don't have the luxury of going, and now what? we're going to. I know. Oh, That's yeah. How's that? Does so Shonda do that? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> two episodes in 13 days. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And a lot wow. on location. And, a, we tr- yeah. and on keep, location. Wow. We've got a lot of scope to the show. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is. We hustle. We got a good transpo department. Yeah. No wonder. And then no wonder you write. So you write and then you do production stuff. Everything. Yeah. Because you really have to be so judicious with what we know the last scene before the first scene is even shot of a season. Wow. And so that allows us to go this scene in episode two really has no impact on the finale. So why is it here? Right. And so and, and I think that's great for us because it allows the episodes to be super compact Story wise, and every everything feels relevant because it is. Anyway, not to die, really not cool. to die. No, that's die, awesome. Die, yeah, what's the word? Die, diverse, 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 something. Diverse. Diverse. <laughs> diverse. <laughs> diverse. <laughs> diverse. Just diverse. That's a deep dive. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, sorry. You, these are good TV answers. Uh, James, what are you watching? Um, the, so, uh, when people ask me questions about what you watch, um, I feel like they. I always have an immense. Holly knows this. I have an immense amount of guilt because I know I should be watching Game of Thrones. Never seen it. Um, I would anytime it was like Mad yeah, Men I'll or say Breaking it. Bad. No, you don't watch either. I don't watch anything with elves unless they're saving Christmas. You just, you just, it's just <laughs> incredible. It's I don't want to see so, magicians and shit. I know. I agree with that. But then <laughs> I, said, I watched I don't it. I want to see magicians and shit. Amazing. It's great. I know it's an incredible. Show. Or like Walking Dead. I just don't. What I actually watch, I I don't know if it's because I'm working so much on my own show and watching another scripted show is hard mm-hmm. or I just am the worst poison for this business and all I watch is reality. So We bond there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, if I you're, hear this a lot from people who yeah. are in production for yeah. a lot of the oh, year or just working so hard on their own show. Well, and I bring reality off. over. Like this season we have Erica Jane on from Real Housewives of Beverly mm-hmm. Hills just because I was like, come over and play. So <laughs> I can tell you every Real Housewife from every franchise. Oh, I can amazing. tell you every butterfly that died in the finale of RuPaul. <laughs> Um, <laughs> if if there's some real rough reality show, although I do have made time for a British baking show, that's the best. Oh, um, that is but great, the old, the, you know, the before one. yeah, before all the new yeah. people came in and took a big crap in the blender. But yeah, uh, anyway, disagree. I oh. was ready to hate the new hosts, the new judge. I think they're great. I, here's the thing, though. I will admit I haven't seen it. So when I say take a crap, it's I just really mean where's Mary Berry? They're really charming. But I will say this: I've because I love the drama. 
I follow on Google and Twitter and all this stuff, all the post breakup oh, and like, yes. what's Paul Hollywood saying about <laughs> the two ladies and what's the two ladies have to say? But like, I, I anything that's messy, I watch that. Oh, interesting. Oh, wait, I forgot to add power. Yes. I also watched. So mm. now I have hit yes. the floor because there's not a lot of things to watch in the summer. Now that's I have true. power and hit the floor. And I think about like, power comes out soon, right? Yes. Yeah. And today. Oh, today. Oh. Hey, everybody, watch power. You're all set. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, give me something good. Um, I am obsessed with Naked and Afraid. Wow. Oh, well, we're I, done here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, specifically Naked and Afraid XL, where it's like a group. Have you not heard of this? I don't know XL. Oh, yeah. There's an XL version where it's a group. Like they drop three groups at different places and they all eventually like some groups will like implode and others work really well together. And then eventually they'll hook up or one will like oh go and it just can they make it the 41 days or whatever it this, is. Uh, is this scripted or reality? This is reality. Okay. These people are dropped Thanks. off. Thanks. I just wanted to point out that you're also a terrible person. I, <laughs> yes, I am. That We're is killing like, this business. It, it Thanks is. for watching every other show I'll, we're I'll killing watch, it you guys, yeah you guys watch the reality I, I will say bravo I watch a lot of uh, the housewives of James I, I, that's where we like even daytime like that's where we initially yes. bonded in our I think our interview my yep. interview with you is like I could talk the whole lineup of CBS daytime television oh soap. So, so soap 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 <laughs> but um Game of Thrones The Affair I'm mm. obsessed with those are good soapy shows for yeah, sure. yeah yeah um all right. Despite all of this talk, people should check out uh, Hit the Floor Season 4 <laughs> and watch for whatever Ramla does next. It's going to be great. Thank you all for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So fun. Thank you for listening to the Writers Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writers Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. And let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com and keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.